Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Hello, hello, my friend. I hope you're doing well this week. You know, when it comes to using STEAM in your classroom, it's important to understand that there are some structures and organization that will make your life a little easier. So in today's episode, I want to share some of the things that we have found to be most effective in that process. Now, there are no hard and fast rules. But we have found that there are some ideas that really help when you're trying to facilitate the process of STEAM. Because it's one thing to write a lesson plan and to write the assessment and even know where they go in your curriculum. It's another thing entirely to try and put this into practice and have all of these students doing all of these things all at the same time can be a little overwhelming. So today, I want to share with you some of these ideas for setting up the structures and systems to help STEAM go more smoothly for you. Now, these come directly from our Design to Steam online course, which is definitely one of the most popular offerings that we share. So if you haven't checked it out yet, you'll want to do that if you're looking for PD hours this summer. And while I'm sharing some of my favorite STEAM structures and systems today, keep in mind that these aren't the only things that you can do for organizing your curriculum or your classroom. There's nothing in here that says that you have to have centers or that you have to have this particular item in order for it to be a STEAM classroom. You don't have to have a 3D printer. You don't have to have Lego robots going on. So there are definitely no hard and fast rules as to what you have to have. What is important, though, is that you have consistency. That's truly the key, that however you implement it, whatever structures you put into place, whatever elements you add to your classroom, that you use them with consistency. And then I want you to think of your structures and organization as the frame that surrounds your STEAM lessons or units. So this is kind of the borderline area that people don't cross, right? This is your frame that that facilitates this STEAM learning environment. So as long as you have that in your mind, what I'm sharing with you today is the frame and how you implement it is really up to you. I think we're going to be good to go. So let's dive in. So the first thing I want you to think about as we get started is whether your classroom is student-led or student-fed. Do the students in your classroom take ownership of their learning? Do they really jump in and kind of feel confident in fostering their own learning environment as well as their own learning process? Or do you really facilitate that process? Do you kind of dictate what, what they do, where they do it, how they do it? None of us likes to admit to doing this kind of um, facilitation, right? <laughs> that, that we kind of take ownership of that and then just let the students do it. But (laughs) I'm here to tell you, many of us actually do lecture way more than we should, right? And I'm going to raise my hand to that. I do it all the time. I catch myself doing it. Even when I'm out consulting with other people about how to do this well, (laughs) I'm still ended up lecturing a lot. It's a constant struggle for those of us who are educators. So tip number one is to just be really cognizant of that when you're using STEAM lessons. You really want to think about how you can step out of the picture 
and let students lead their own learning. Now, one trick to doing that is called the P3 principle. And I learned this when I was a music teacher. This is actually part of the Kodai pedagogy for music education. And all of you who are music educators out there, when I say Kodai, you know what I mean. Um, and the main idea of this is to prepare your students for the information, then present it to them, and finally let them practice it, right? P3, present or prepare, present, and practice. Now, in the pre P3 principle, if we apply that same understanding to the STEAM classroom, what that looks like is that you're giving students lots of different experiences in both the arts area and the STEM content area that you're going to be using multiple times before you present the actual key piece of the lesson itself. So you're giving them a lot of different experiences. You're letting them start to put the pieces together in their minds of, oh, I did this and that related over here to this. And I just learned this skill. I wonder if I could use it over here. You're getting their wheels turning. Okay. That's part of the preparation phase. And then we have the presentation phase. In the presentation phase, that's the good old traditional teaching. That is when we say, here is what this idea is. Here is what we're trying to get you to understand, this particular skill and process. And that should take you no more than about five to 10 minutes to explain. Because if you've done the work, if you've let them really prepare and experience the concepts that you're going to be teaching, all they need to know is what it's called. All they should be saying in their mind is, oh, that's what this whole thing has been, right? That's what this is. That's what I call it. But they've already been experiencing whatever it is that you're trying to teach. So once you present, then you get out of the way and you let them practice it. And that's when you give them the application phase. That's when they get to take what they've learned and really put it together. And so really your preparation and your, um, your practice phases take the most amount of time. Your presentation, your traditional teaching, that takes the shortest amount of time. So let's think about this in terms of a lesson and backwards map it, right? Let's start with the end in mind, the um, practice phase, and move all the way back to the beginning so you can see what this looks like from the, the, the ending all the way back to the beginning. <clears throat> let's imagine we're doing a lesson that has students photographing nature walks over time and then looking and comparing that to a Georgia O'Keeffe print. All right. You know, Georgia O'Keeffe is the artist who does uh, who's very famous for these large botanical prints. Right. Those large flowers. If you see one, you know what it is. It's a Georgia O'Keeffe. So if we're if we're having students look at Georgia O'Keeffe prints and compare them and then photographing their own nature walks over time, that's the that's the key idea of this lesson. OK, the practice phase is the final piece. Right. So for this kind of lesson in their practice phase, I would have students create their own four art prints, right? That's what they're going to produce at the end. That's how they're practicing. The preparation phase was really including the nature walks, the photography I'm having them do, talking about the photography and looking at the Georgia O'Keeffe examples, right? So that's the preparation phase. And in between, we might have presented certain scientists that look and observe at plants over time and causes and how time causes things to change and that artists do the same thing. That would be your presentation phase. So 
those are the key pieces. So let's look at how that lesson would be structured. So if I'm, remember, we're starting with the practice piece. So right, the preparation phase, sorry. So we're really starting with the preparation phase, which is we're starting with students taking some nature walks. We're having them take photography of the nature walks that they're going on. We're having them look at their photography and talk about it. And then we're looking at Georgia O'Keeffe examples, right? That's all the preparation phase. Once I have them do that, then I'm going to present certain scientists that also look and observe plants over time, look at how time causes things to change, and Look at artists who do the same thing. Maybe Andrew Goldsworthy is a great example. That's my presentation phase. And then my practice phase, once my students have all that, now they're going to create their own four art prints using the photography that they took on their nature walks. Okay, that would be how my lesson is structured. So you pull the two sides together in a nice little bow and you step out of the way and let students work and practice it. All right, so here is a suggested structure for delivering your lessons. Now that you know like what it should look like, how do you facilitate this? I like to use what's called the studio lab design. So you start with studio time. And this is really where you get your practice phase in. You start with a central question. Remember that we have our essential question for a big theme, right? Or a prompt for exploration with tools in the studio. So by that, what I mean is that we have our big question that we want to answer. And in studio time, we give them chances to explore that question in a variety of ways, both in my content area and in my arts area. I might introduce an art strategy here too, like maybe See, Think, Wonder or 10 times 2, right? You can use studio time as an idea generator for collaborative teams. So they're getting together and they have to come up with an idea. That could happen during that studio time period. This is really a designated time for students to play and experiment, okay? There's no right or wrong. It happens in the studio. It's kind of like a, a risk-free time. But that anything, even if it flops, it's no big deal, right? You set aside time specifically for that during your unit or your lesson. So if you have students every day for 45 minutes for math, I might set aside the first 10 minutes of math time and say, okay, we're going to start with studio time and really have that set up for them already so that they have time to experiment and play and understand the concepts that they're going to be working with during your math class. Because remember, the more you practice, the easier it is to present the idea and let them be able to kind of, you know, um, apply it later on. The more chances they have to prepare, to get used to this, to experiment, the easier it is to present the idea and then have them practice it. Now, once you have studio time, you can then also have lab time. Now, this can be back-to-back, -back, so you could have studio time that leads directly into lab time, or it could be that at a certain point during your lesson, you're going to designate a lab time to occur. Now, lab time is when you use the time that you've set aside to turn those questions you've gotten from studio time into transformative solutions. So this is when they're ready to pull the pieces together and practice, right, and kind of create their work. That's lab time. So think of studio time as your preparation and lab time as your practice. And in between there is when you have the presentation phase. So you can have workstations, you can have centers, you can have research and development area where students are researching and then creating solutions and trying them out with each other. You can have a presentation space. All of that could be set up for lab time. 
Now, you should have organized areas for equipment or other tools that can happen during lab time. That makes this easier. And like I said, you can structure lab time and studio time however you'd like. So if you want to do this, if you have a 45-minute math class every day, you might want to take 10 minutes of studio time. You could have 30 minutes of pure instruction, and then you've got 35 minutes of lab time where you could take what you've learned in instruction, you've played with your studio, and you're using that to create something new at the end of your lesson. You can structure it that way, or you could be teaching explicitly on days one and two, and then have them do some studio time on day three and lab time on day four. Like I said at the beginning, there's no hard and fast rules here. It's what works for you and your students and your current schedule. But it is important to understand that students need time that they can experiment with things. And if it fails, it's okay. That they can use that as a learning experience to have a next iteration, a next idea of how to make that better so that they can apply it during their lab time. They also need the lab time so they can actually create there are so many times that I've seen people try to do a STEAM lesson that they cut short the creation time. And that should actually be the bulk of the time that students are using, is being able to pull the ideas together and create something new. So definitely be sure to set time aside for that. In the studio, it's really important to understand what happens in each area. This is where students are gonna learn technique. They're engaging in inquiry, they're taking risks, and they're problem solving. In the lab, they're applying their learning, they're presenting or performing their work, and they're getting peer feedback. And you can rotate that a lot of different ways. So here's another example. You start with studio time, you select and teach the specific skills or process or techniques that you want students to use. That can happen during studio. And then you transition by providing a specific problem or question and ask students to think about how to use the new studio skills that they were just taught to develop a solution. So think about that. This shouldn't take very long. Just get the wheels turning, then move into to lab time where students can work alone or with others to merge their ideas with their skills and techniques and apply it to the problem or question that you've assigned. So this way, you can structure an entire lesson um, in this you know, organizational structure if you want. So again, multiple ways to look at studio lab time, but it is important that you start with process and skill-based learning, moving into thinking about a problem that we can use those skills and then application through the lab time. Now, just as important as structure to our classroom and literal implementation structure, just as, as much as that is important, organization is important as well. So here's a couple of organization ideas to kind of keep the mess contained and, and which allow you to embrace the mess, but keep it in a way that is manageable, right? So first is to try providing open access choice bins with problem cards that students can then select to consider possible solutions surrounding your topic. So you have a topic, you have different problems around that topic. Students could pick a problem and then work together to find a solution. If you have open access choice bins, that way is always readily available. So try to use recycled materials whenever possible because number one, they're cheap. And number two, it really does allow students to create in a way that's a little less risky. And you never know what they're going to be able to create. I mean, there is wonderful stuff that is created by cardboard, right? I mean, take a look at Kane's Arcade. Go ahead and YouTube that if you haven't already seen it. And you'll see exactly what I mean. It's amazing. So when you use recycled materials, 
keep them in separate bins. Have a bin for paper towel tubes, have a bin for adhesives, have a bin for drawing supplies, Lego bins, etc. So that you can kind of ensure that students have areas that they can place these things in and also quickly access them in order to solve a problem that you've set up. Right? Another example is to try setting up a genius bar for students to help each other during genius minutes. I love this idea. So everybody's a genius at something. I might be really skilled in English language arts and sentence structures, but maybe I'm really terrible at spelling. So when it comes to crafting a really great sentence, I'd be able to help somebody with that. But when it comes to spelling, I might need to go and ask somebody else for help. So you have students actually sign up as a genius in their area of expertise for any given topic. And then you can designate five or 10 genius minutes for students so that stu people can go sign up for genius minutes and learn from each other. This is a great way to utilize some of that empty time that we have in our classrooms in transitions or when we're trying to go from one thing to the next. Try utilizing your genius minutes and having students who are struggling with something go and ask a peer something else, kind of like Apple's Genius Bar, right? So when you have early finishers, go have them sign up as a genius to be at the Genius Bar for something that other students can work with them on. Um, and one last thing about organization. This is the third thing that I, but I think it's really, really helpful. If at all possible, try to have blueprints available. So what I call a blueprint is what, what I mean by that is a photograph, right? Which I call a blueprint of what my room should look like when students leave at any given area. And then I post it in each area. So maybe I have one that's over in the open choice bins area, one for the desks, one for the front of the room, whatever that is. Um, I take a photograph of what my space should look like when they leave right? So that it's not just like a tornado that went through, but it's actually organized. I take a photograph of it and I post it in each area. And then before students leave, I ask them to go look at the photograph and make sure that what they're seeing matches the photograph. That way it takes the burden off of me for organizing everything and it puts that ownership back on them. And remember, treating your tools with respect is just as important as actually using the tools. So being able to put those in place is really helpful for students as well. Okay, this is a lot of information today, but I'm hopeful that it sparks an idea for your own STEAM classroom. I'd love to hear your thoughts and questions about this topic. So remember, you can ask me anything using the Ask Me Anything button on the podcast page to share with me your ideas and what's bubbling to the surface for you. Just head over to artsintegration.com forward slash sparkchasers, and you'll find today's show notes, contact area, and links for more resources. And if you're enjoying the show and know somebody who could benefit from our discussions, please share it because together we can chase the spark of our ideas and make a brighter future for everyone. I'll see you soon. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.